And we wrapped up a month, actually a little more than a month, talking about creating the lives that we want to live through the power of having intentions in our minds. And I think we felt fairly competent around that. But I want to perhaps throw a monkey wrench <laughs> in our confidence. Are, are, are we game for this, just to give it a try today? Because I bet that most of us, as confident as we might be, about kind of changing our thought patterns and ideas to maybe find that perfect job or maybe to um, have a better go at a, at a great relationship or something like that, I bet most of us will stop short at transforming our bodies. I think that there's a paradigm in America right now that the way we're born and the way we've raised and, and, and whatever, however it looks right now, that we're kind of stuck with it. And in fact, I think it gets more insidious and dangerous than that. I think most of us would say, as we get older, it's just going to wear out and we're going to be in a heck of a mess. And I want to talk about our bodies today. And I think we'll have a little fun with it. But I'm going to ask you to keep an open mind because we're going to push a button or two, I think. But let's start out with something um, a little bit fun. So I found some fun facts about the human body just to start us out with here. And then we'll get more serious. Scientists say that the higher your IQ, the more you dream. So take some notes with friends and see how dreaming is for you. Here's one that I think is really interesting. You use over 200 muscles to take a single step. The acid in your stomach is strong enough to dissolve razor blades. <laughs> That's a scary one, I think. How about this one? The human brain can hold over five times as much information as in the complete Encyclopedia Britannica. The average human dream lasts two to three seconds. Oh, here's a scary one. I like this one. Areas of your skin may exceed one trillion pieces of bacteria per square inch. Right? Now, those of you that like worry about any little thing, you know, getting in your eye or whatever, contemplate this. There are right now areas on your skin that have over one trillion pieces of bacteria per square inch. And here's one, I'll end with this last one just for today, because I think we're experiencing this one. Your body gives off enough heat in 30 minutes to bring a half gallon of water to a boil. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? But I would suggest something about these that are leading us down a path that's not a good one. And that simply is that it makes us think of our bodies as though they are machines. And, and I want to put to you that w whether you're in the medical profession or whether it's just a, so, sort of commonly how we talk about our bodies with each other, we absolutely have this metaphor of like a machine. And I'll, I'll even up at one and say, we treat them like cars. We look at our bodies like it's a car. We believe that its parts, both individually and collectively, are going to wear out someday. And we believe by and large that when things go wrong, we got to swap out those parts or remove them. We have the kind of remove, replace mentality, right? It, it, it's, it's like, you know, if disease strikes, cut it out. We also have the idea, like a car or a machine, that if we overuse it or damage it, 
that will wear out even quicker. That whole idea of athletes, you know, being past their prime at like 30, right? Well, I played football in my 20s, so of course I'm worn out now because I used it up sooner. <laughs> and finally, and I think this one is really interesting, we believe that we're stuck with the make and the model of this car we're driving in, predestined from birth, don't we? Don't we believe, by and large, that our genes, our genetics inherited from our parents, not only just specify maybe what color our hair is, but whoa, it goes way beyond that. It predicts whether I'm going to have breast cancer later on in life. It predicts whether I might be uh, prone to have a midlife uh, onset of diabetes. It, it, uh, and likewise, on the positive side, right? It predicts that maybe I'll be a better athlete than someone else, or it predicts that I'm more likely to be musical or something like that, right? Don't we believe that we're kind of locked in as though we've chosen a certain make and model of a car, and by gosh, we're stuck with that Camry till the end of time. And I do hear people talk about that. I hear people talk about their tired old aging bodies. I hear people talk about, well, you know, shoot, I guess it's to be inspected because my mother had that. So, of course, you know, I'm going to have high blood pressure too because she did and my grandfather did. I hear people talk about that all the time. And you know what? It's not true. It, by and large, is not true. And in fact, I want to suggest something. I think that our treating our bodies as though they were simply machines actually leads us down a path of, de of destroying that machine. Let me give you a few examples. First of all, if our idea of our body is like a machine, then that should tell me that to keep that machine safe, I should never use it. The safest thing you can do for a car is to put it in the garage for 25 years, right? <laughs> That's not true. Science will tell you that at any point in life, as you use your muscles, as you use your capabilities, even as you use your intelligence, it actually increases. <laughs> it isn't through disuse that we preserve our bodies. It's through using them. That's why people recommend exercise programs. That's why people recommend that seniors even just do crossword puzzles or something to keep their minds alive and vigorous. The more we use it, the better it is. Well, now that's not like any kind of machine I've heard of. And the same is true with this idea of sort of replacement parts, the idea of let's cut it out and start over. And I've heard doctors and, and people talk that way. Well, you know, your pancreas, if you have one more attack like that, rather than you keeping in and out of the hospital, we'll just remove it. I've, I, I remember in, in my own case years ago, uh, they said, you know, if, you, if tonsillitis flares up one more time, we'll just pull them all. I know there's nothing wrong with these three, but oh my gosh, there will be, right? We'll just get them appendix. Why do you need, you know, right? It's like if something goes wrong, take it out. But we're not machines. People who are really in tune to their bodies and, and, and truly to an understanding of how our bodies work will tell you that our bodies are an amazing mechanisms of self-repair. And that most of the diseases that we suffer from today, given a good sense of input to it, meaning a relatively stress-free environment, meeting a healthy diet, meeting a modicum of exercise, 
whether it's cancer or lupus or leukemia or like you name it, we can heal from those without cutting it out, without taking massive amounts of drugs. These are helpful tools. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting if we break an arm that we shouldn't set it. I'm not suggesting that, you know, if, if we have some form of cancer and it's well treatable uh, by, by removing it, well, of course, let's do that. But I am here to tell you, your body can also heal you of all those things and more. Your body will respond if it's given the right stimulus. I was reading the other day on the internet um, about disease in general. 80 to 85% of the diseases that people suffer from right now, 85% of the reasons people go to the doctor or to the, or to the hospital are because of so-called stress-related illnesses. They are hazards, if you will, of living our lives in the 21st century. We, we have brought most of these onto us. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, right? I'm not saying it's easy to reduce our stress level. I'm not saying it's easy to live in an environment that's, that's more conducive to life and love and things like that. It will require some work on our part, but most the huge, vast majority of diseases that are suffering, that people are suffering from right now, are these lifestyle and stress-related diseases. It's as though we've signed up for them, and we think that that's what's going to happen. Well, yes, I have a few extra pounds, and my mother had type 2 diabetes, so, you know, I might as well get used to that now, too. And, and you know, give me another helping of dessert. Do you know what I mean? It's like if we accept the fallibility of these bodies, if we accept the fact that, of course, I'm going to get old and worn out, if we're going to accept our genetics, then, well, of course, right? The body's going to respond as we do our actions in the world, as we make our choices in the world. If we walk down that path, of course, the body will say yes. But it doesn't have to. And here's the exciting bit. I'm using for inspiration this month, Reinventing the Body by D Deepak Chopra on the, for months on the bestsellers list last year. And what Deepak Chopra has to say is that most of what we think that is changeable in our world by changing our thoughts is also changeable within our own bodies. That the mind also controls our bodies in the same way that in science of mind we say, oh, well, yeah, if you, if you change your thoughts, your thought patterns, your outlook on life, if you change the choices in you, that you make, absolutely, you will see a better life out there. Chopra says, not surprisingly, that it's true right here, that it's true right in our bodies. I want to use a, a fun example. This was the Helsinki study that was done um, some years ago, and initially it baffled scientists. So uh, it took place in, uh, in Finland, and they took several thousand middle-aged guys, uh, and they picked the guys that were, had all of the indicators for probable heart disease later on. So they picked a lot of guys that were smokers, that, that had limited exercise, people, you know, stuck behind desks who were smokers and maybe drinkers and some of the other, some of the other things that tend to make people more at risk for health problems. They divided them into two groups, and one group they called 
the casual group. This is the group that I want to be a part of, by the way, because I'm, ca- I'm a casual guy. And in the casual group, really the only thing they did was they had a, a checkup twice a year, and the doctor said things like, uh, you know, you might think about, uh, about stopping that smoking. You know, that could kill you someday. And the doctor might say something like, well, I see your blood pressure is a little high. You know, with the proper diet, um, you could, you could pr- probably bring that under control. And there are some brochures out in the office. So it was a real low key. They, they pointed out issues, right? But they kind of just left it up to the patient, you know, whether any activity would occur or not. The other group of people were actually given... And this is amazing. Everything from personal trainers and dietitians, they have them come in actually twice a month to monitor their weight, to monitor their blood pressure. They monitored their triglycerides. And I mean, they monitored things that I don't even know how to pronounce. I thought I, thought I did fairly good with triglycerides. But, but anyway, what it was was literally every week they were getting messages about, you know, you need to do this, you need to do this. You know, here's how you can be healthy. Five more pounds will make the world a difference. Oh, you were a little off on your diet last week. You need to stick to it. Uh, Like every week they were going in. And and this was all free, too. It was was brought about as part of this study. Okay, so what do you think the results were? Much to the horror and consternation (laughs) of the medical profession, the casual group had fewer cases of heart attacks and untimely death than the people who were constantly going into the doctor and being reminded of what they needed to do and being put on diet plans and and being told that they needed to exercise more and being urged to go down to the swimming pool because otherwise, if you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, you're in store for one hell of a bad time. (laughs) And finally, after the study was all done, they invited some psychologists (laughs) to come in (laughs) and look at the evidence. And not surprisingly, what the psychologist said was, you are creating an atmosphere of fear. People do not thrive in an atmosphere of fear. And so even though they were really talking people into better eating habits, into more exercise, even though they really had a good grip on telling people what to do and making sure they were following down, it was that probably that constant finger pointing and waggling that had people scared. And in the climate of fear, in the climate of anxiety, in the climate of stress, if you will, they did poorly. So I want to suggest to you, it is more than just what you put into your body. Now, I'm not saying these things aren't important. I'm not saying that a good diet and good exercise and many of the things for a healthy lifestyle uh, aren't valuable. They absolutely are. But your intention around a long life, your intentions around living a good life and a sweet life and a hassle-free life, are probably more important than trying to will yourself into doing things that don't feel right for you. It's probably more important than you feel in integrity with your own thoughts and your own mind and your own body than it is sticking to like a a weird diet that you're not sure you even believe in. Probably you do more harm through stressing out about your health (laughs) than you would if you were in the casual group. (laughs) 
All right, so why is this? Why is this? And, uh, and Deepak Chopra has some good ideas here. First of all, he would like us to change our idea even, the metaphor we're using. Instead of thinking of the body as a machine like a car, he suggests, let's think of it as more like something that has lots of options. Maybe like a big restaurant menu. Have you ever been to one of those restaurants where the menu is almost like has too many options? Like if you've been to Old Wives Tale lately and, and it's like the 35 pages of and you can have it this way or this way and you can have it that way and it can be gluten free and it can, you know, it's like it's a little overwhelming when you actually look at it. But Deepak suggests this is more like what our bodies are like. Our bodies are willing to respond in amazing ways if we know how to make the order, if, if we have the gumption and the wherewithal to say to our bodies, okay, what I really want to be served today is strong muscles and a healthy mind. Do you know what I mean? But he says it's there. And he even talks about our genetics because, again, it's not as pre-programmed. It's not like that machine that we think it is. Uh, let me quote from the book here that he talks about genetics because I think it's, it's really very compelling. He says, you probably don't know that identical twins born with the exact same DNA, they look very different genetically when they grow up. Certain genes have been switched on, others have been switched off, and by the age of 70, images taken of the chromosomes of two identical twins will not remotely look the same. Now this is our actual genetic code. And he goes on to provide a couple examples of impossible things that humans learn how to do. Impossible things that our bodies learn to do because our mind wills it to. And the first one we've all experienced, and that's walking. That's back to the, remember the, uh, the 200 muscles that it takes that have to be in perfect coordination in order to take one step? And of course, we've all been with toddlers who haven't quite got it right yet, right? It's like a few, of those two, a few of those 200 muscles haven't quite got the hang of it. But then, within a few months, oh my God, it's like she's perfect. She's walking. She just sailed down the aisle. Do you know what I mean? And what they have done, they have actually done um, brainwave photography of, of infants learning to walk. The process of learning to walk from a brain perspective, it creates whole new structures in the brain, literally. It almost is coordinating something that otherwise would be impossible to do. Because literally the brain, at least initially, until we've learned it really well, the brain is one by one controlling all 200 muscles. It isn't until those patterns in the mind actually develop so that we can just think one foot and then the next foot and it works. Up until then, the reason you're going like this is because your brain actually is going, oh my God, muscle number 83 <laughs> you know, isn't quite doing what it's supposed to. And it isn't until all of that comes together, that whole structure begins to develop in the brain that we can walk. Okay, now you might say, well, that's interesting, Larry, but that's when people are toddlers, and what I know about toddlers, their brains are already in development, so it's probably just part of the normal development of the, of the human body, and, you know, so how is that telling me that our intentions can create new brain structures? Do you know what the second 
impossible thing is that humans learn how to do? Because it isn't in infancy. Learning how to drive a car. Our brains are pretty much fully developed. And, well, and of course, even if you don't learn at 16 or 17, many of us don't learn until we're later in life. Some people don't learn until we're, you know, in the midlife. This requires an effort in our brains very similar to learning how to walk. We have to control both our visual context of what's going on around us in a vehicle that's moving 60 miles an hour with a series of controls from both our feet and our hands, learning how to correct but not overcorrect. This, by many mental uh, establishments would be considered an impossible task by anything but the most highly skilled computer being able to handle that many inputs at one time and having it have a good outcome, <laughs> right? We, through the power of our intention, yes, I'm going to learn how to drive. We don't even think about it, right? Because everybody drives. We, through the power of our intention, I'm going to learn how to drive, have learned how to do something that is nearly impossible, that has created a whole structure in our brain to support that level of complexity, it has even changed our genetic makeup. They have shown that people who know how to drive are genetically slightly different because of the, uh, 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 the things that have been turned on and off, the genes that have been turned on and off, that our genetics have actually changed a bit. Because of our intention, I'm going to learn how to drive. What if our intention was, I'm going to be healthy? Now, driving is kind of a sexy thing, right? I think it, if you were like me as an adolescent, learning how to drive represented freedom. And so I would have probably done just about anything, including learning with my stepfather, <laughs> you know. Uh, but there's a big motivation for that. What if I were to tell you it would be just as easy, but was it easy, just as easy to cure yourself of cancer just as easy for you to live well into your 80s and 90s and be vigorously healthy, what if I were to tell you with that same intentionality that you learned how to drive, you could do any of those other things with your body? Well, it's true. I can state it just that clearly. It's true. Now, of course, we have programs for driver's ed, right? We have programs for uh, teaching people how to walk, not so much for teaching people how to heal themselves. It doesn't mean it's not uh, perfectly reasonable. It doesn't mean we can't do it. But here we're a little bit on the cutting edge. And Deepak Chopra even has a little bit of an answer for that. I'm going to close today with his recipe for changing even your DNA, his recipe, if you will, for changing your body through the power of your mind. And what I thought was <laughs> kind of interesting is he calls it a, uh, he calls it a subtle, where is it here? He, oh, here it is. He calls it a subtle action. And interestingly enough, it lays out in five steps. And for those of you who've had the foundation class or worked on affirmations or things like that, listen to this. First of all, he says, step one, you go inside and make your intention known. Whether it's an intention of healing, whether it's an intention of uh, strength, 
whether it's an intention of uh, fullness of breath, whatever it is you want to experience, he says, you go inside and make your intention known. Then he says, you believe in getting the results you want. Then he says, don't resist the process of change in your body. It might take a little while. Step four, he said, as your mind shifts, as your thoughts about yourself shift, the energy shifts, which shifts the cells of your body to change at the physical level. And finally, <laughs> I like this last one, repeat as necessary. <laughs> <laughs> He says this may not happen in an instant, right? You may not cure yourself of cancer in an instant. You may not be physically much stronger in an instant. It may require a little practice. Friends, basically this is prayer. This is what we teach here every Sunday. This is what we teach in our classes. This is what uh, the practitioners do for you if you go for a practitioner session. The power of the mind is not limited to just what we see out there in the world. It isn't limited to the relationships we create. It isn't um, limited to the abundance we might draw into our lives or the peace or the joy. It also includes this thing we're riding around in. And although it may behave sometimes like a machine, it's much more like a spiritual envelope. It is much more like that menu of infinite possibilities where today you may choose to be hearty and hale and vigorous and tomorrow you may choose to work on a specific kind of healing in your body and the day after that you may choose to work on uh, long distance running or something like that. And what I know is your body will respond. Even as the world responds, your body will respond. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing that I call life. And what I know about life is that it is irrepressible. It is vigorous. It is joyous. It takes the form of, of sure, the people and the places that are right here in this room, but it takes the form of everything. God is everywhere present. And I know that means me. I know that my life is full of the energy, full of the joy, full of the wholeness and health that I choose to accept into it. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person in this room has a willingness on this day to see their bodies as something more than just some odd machine. There's a willingness here to see the body as a part of our spiritual life, responding to our intentions for love and goodness and wholeness, responding to the abilities we have to change our musculature, to change our endocrine system, really to change all of it through intentions. Through our intentions of long life, through our intentions of love and support, through our intentions of living a stress-free life, the bodies of each person in this room change. And I am simply grateful for this. I'm grateful in this series where we'll be exploring more tools and more ways of bringing about the changes that we want not only in the world, but also in our health. And so with great gratitude, I just let it be, and so it is. So thank you very much for being here today. Thanks so much. Thank you.